All right. Happy New Year, everyone. Uh, 2022. Um, feels kind of weird to say. Uh, hopefully, this year brings a lot more uh, good than last. A lot more positivity. I don't know. I don't know. A better outlook? Hell, I don't know. I'm just tired of having to not be able to go anywhere. I take a Mass. repeat on the hunting, I think. I'd take a repeat on the hunting. That'd be maybe, fine. Maybe a better elk trip this year, but otherwise, I think I'd replay yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, Idaho. I don't know if I want to repeat exactly how that went. Um, <laughs> maybe if we were into elk every day, I'd be okay. But so otherwise, but yeah. So yeah, it's a it's a new year. Uh, same podcast, same guys. Um, tonight we've got a guest on, uh, Keith uh, Colonna. Am I pronouncing your last name right? You are okay. I've never actually said your last name to you. I've only just called you Keith, so I never really knew. You did better than a lot of people. What else would they say? Um, it's so for reference, your last name is spelled C O L O N N A. Correct. Okay. What else would it be? Man, all throughout grade school into high school, um, I, I always, as a kid, thought my last name was pretty straightforward as far as <laughs> how it's spelled, how it's pronounced, right? I, I would get Kalana a lot, which that one I oh, can yeah. understand. Um, but I mean, man, I've, I've had some of them like Kalogna was one. I've had people think that, you know, the N's are silent. I, I've had a lot of stuff. That I'm just kind of like, I mean, no, it's ends Kelowna. Uh, trying to spice you know, it up a little bit. I, you know, and then on top of that was the nicknames, right? You know, Kelowna rhymes with Corona, rhymes yeah. with Cologne, right? So, you know, it was a lot of those, you know, as an adult, I think that I drink Corona beer partly just because of the fact that that was something that I always heard growing up. Um, but now you say Corona and it brings an entirely different sentiment for people. So that joke is probably going to be retired. Oh, man. I didn't even think about that. I wonder if yeah. they changed their name. They wouldn't change their name. No. It's too iconic. That's fair. I met, did, did you get a lot of like, hey, I'll buy you a Corona in college? Enough. Enough? Yeah. Enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yep. So, <laughs> so I want to do a sidetrack real quick. Um, you're our first Yinzer on the podcast. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, for like those it. that don't know what a Yinzer is, it's a, well, I don't really know what it is. It's just something that Pittsburgh people say. Say <laughs> so that makes two of us because I have not heard this before. <laughs> so the easiest way that I could explain it is uh, Yinzer is, is effectively a, a, a culture, right? It's a subculture. You know, like when you say Yinzer around Pittsburgh, people automatically sort of associate that with some things. And I'm actually self-admittedly not a very good Yinzer in that I don't even say Yinz. So I, I sort of feel like I'm not totally allowed to, to say it, but I was born in downtown Pittsburgh and have lived here for most of my life. So I think I allow myself a pass. Um, but Yinzer would be somebody who you know lives in, I mean, depending on who you ask, the proximity in which you live to Pittsburgh that qualifies you as a Yinzer can be a little or it can be a lot. Um, but it's somebody in the general Western Pennsylvania, somewhere near Pittsburgh area. Um, typically, you know, people that either grew up here or, have moved here that find an affinity for the city. Um, and there is a lot of cool culture in Pittsburgh. Um, even for someone like me who, you know, I go to the city, but I don't know it as well as some people that go more often. Um, but you know, blue collar steel town, um, Heinz ketchup, right? behind field. It's, it's right there. You can see the Heinz building driving into the city. Um, you got Permani brothers and a lot of those things, Steelers, penguins, you know, a lot, a lot of Yinzers 
um, typically follow, you know, our sports teams as well, even the Pirates. Um, they obviously have not been, you know, they had a 2013 or 14, I think maybe we, we had the, uh, we played to get into the playoffs, but haven't been relevant for most of my life, but they still have a pretty strong following by a lot of fans in Pittsburgh. So I would say that that's the best way to describe a Yenzer, right? Somebody that is, you know, enmeshed with the city and our, you know, our, our sports and other parts of the culture. Um, and I, you know, as a Yenzer in some way myself, uh, we are opinionated, you know, I, that's on, I, I'm a big sports fan, especially football. Um, so I see that come out a lot in football talk. Um, but, you know, Yenzers are, you know, Pittsburgh's a great place. Um, and, you know, it's, it is one of those kind of neat little subcultures that if you don't know anyone from here and you haven't been here, like you guys said, it doesn't really mean anything. Um, but, you know, it's the Yenzer culture in Pittsburgh is very proud. Um, and that's why I think the, the city, you know, despite not being as big as some others, you know, is a pretty popular place to move to at the moment. And we have a lot of new businesses that are developing in Pittsburgh. And so that's my, you know, easiest way to explain what I think it is. What's the origin of that word? Where's the, where's the Yenzer come in? Man, somebody's going to be listening to this that actually knows the answer, and they're going to be really disappointed to me that I don't know the answer. <laughs> I'm not I won't know if you're telling the right answer or not. So, I, well, like, so today, so like, someone, we have a we have a, a a babysitter for our daughter. She comes to our house, and well, we have two, I guess. But the one today, she kept saying yins, like, like, oh, uh, that's a that's a such a long drive for yins. And like saying it like that, and I and I never caught it before. And I'm just like, "Are you from Pittsburgh?" And she's like, "No, I'm from Clearfield." And I was like, "You're saying yins, though." I thought only people from like the southwest part of the state said it. it, it it's attributed to Pittsburgh, right? Like, it's it. I would react the same way if I heard someone say yins. I would immediately think that they were from Pittsburgh. Um, and I think it is again someone that actually may know more about any other history with that word will probably write in or email you guys and be like man that guy's laying in front of pittsburgh he doesn't know what he's talking about um i would th- i mean to me it's just a dialect thing right you know how, how different regions pronounce things different ways you know even how some places pop or some places it's soda and damn it's it you pop. better get it right depending on where you are it it's is pop, pop. <laughs> um but you know you look you know yin's you know, you got UNs, you guys, you know, you, we have a lot of them like that. You know, buggy is one that people use for like a shopping cart at the grocery store. Um, you know, trying to, you know, crick and that one is not really specific to our area, but it's one that you hear a lot around here. No, in, um, in Michigan, a crick is something is a flowing piece of water, but it has to have like a tire or a shopping cart in it or something. Yeah. Like that. that was that, the joke yeah, that I always heard. That's probably the same here. Um, and unfortunately a lot of bodies of water that aren't cricks still have tires and other debris in them um but that would be that would be my you know to me it's it's a dialect thing you know it's it's there is a distinct accent i think to folks from pittsburgh i've heard that as you know when i travel out of the area you know another state people can pick it out and to me i don't i don't notice but you know same way that if you talk someone from chicago you can tell or you know every region kind of has their own little sub dialect in some way yeah i always get uh pointed out with it's like are, are you from like they'll ask if i'm from the south or or from from you know minnesota or something like that it's like no i'm from michigan it's like you definitely have an accent and i never thought i did until i moved to pennsylvania and everyone picked it out yeah i can, i can hear it a little bit 
now that you say that, I will admit that I didn't really notice it until, but now that I'm going to listen for it the rest of the time, I'll make sure that I point it out when I hear it. Solid, solid. The last thing that I noticed that Pennsylvanians do is they don't add plural to bucks. It throws me off. To bucks. Yeah. So like if you saw five antler deer in a field, Ah, what would you say? Five buck or five bucks? So again, I'm I'm probably being a uh, nonconformist because I would say bucks, <laughs> but I know exactly what you're referring to, and you are 100% correct. Yeah, I don't get the it. S gets left off often. Yeah, so so this was fun. Absolutely, <laughs> everyone, everyone got a little nomenclature lesson on the city of Pittsburgh. Here's a um, good culture dive to get started. Yeah, good <clears throat> culture dive. You are you are a huge sports fan. You and I have talked to at no end about the Steelers. Um, Big Ben's last name last night. Mm-hmm. You were there. I don't know how you get those seats. You have really good seats. Um, yeah, pretty cool experience. My right? dad's a season ticket holder. My my parents have season tickets, so we're very fortunate that um, I'm one of two kids. So my sister is younger than me by four years. You know, but at this point we're we're both into adulthood, and we get opportunities to go to the games, um, especially the colder weather games. You know, my my mom has had two rounds of cancer in the last six years. And so she has a harder time with the colder games. So we typically kind of know that when we get to this time of the season, you know, more of those tickets will be ones that they may not want to use, um, which I like because we looked at this game. Um, usually we try to pick out games that everyone's going to go to earlier on in the season. So we already know. And, you know, I saw Monday night against the Browns at home week 17. And my wife, Caitlin and I looked at that and said, that ha- that game is going to have to matter, right? It, you know, at that point, we just thought for playoff implications or something like that, which it kind of did, um, you know. And so we get to, I'd say, probably about three games a season, which is, I mean, we're really blessed to be able to have that opportunity. Yeah, that's um, pretty solid. And especially down, like you said, our, I mean, our seats are, you know, we're really lucky. You know, it, I get to see a lot more than, you know, even when you're sitting farther up. And um, we always appreciate getting to go to those games because, you know, they're just really hard to get tickets to. Kind of tie that in, Ben Roethlisberger. He is a hunter. Brett Kiesel, uh, he's, you know, one of the probably more prominent defensive linemen in the past 20 years for the Steelers. He's a huge hunter. I've heard really cool stories about his hunts and how he treats guides and whatnot. Like, he is a dude that when he, so like a lot of people, they show up to a guided hunt out west and they let the guides do the work. He doesn't, apparently. Like if they're feeding horses, he's throwing hay with them, that kind of a thing. So I've always thought pretty cool. I've always thought highly of that guy for sure. So, but, uh, enough sidetracks. We went down nomenclature, then the Steelers and then Brett Kiesel and his guide trips. So Cody, why don't you, uh, why don't you dive into the next topic there before I take us on another tangent of Southwest Pennsylvania. (laughs) (laughs) That was interesting. I mean, learn something new every day, but, uh, yeah, kind of, kind of segueing into the into the hunting world. Um, what uh, what got you into hunting, Keith? Or I mean, have you been have you been hunting forever? Or is this newer to you? Where did uh, things kind of start for you? Yeah, so I'm an adult onset hunter. Um, I killed my first deer in my first season, which was you know at, at the time I didn't understand how fortunate I was to have that happen. I do now. Um, in 2015, so I was just before I turned 24 was my first season of hunting. Um, I was interested in it when I was younger, um, but my dad does not hunt. And so that 
is the often segue that a lot of people will get young hunters is that they have a parent that takes them out. Um, I wasn't really, I was like being outside, you know, throughout middle school and high school, but it just never really manifested in anything beyond that. Um, and then I went to college at Edinburgh, which is a uh, state college in Pennsylvania that is up north, probably about 20, 25 minutes south of Erie. Um, and it's, you know, it's a very rural area. Hunting and fishing is very prevalent and, and popular in that area. And that was really where I got my first exposure to people that actually hunted. Um, I made a couple friends that I'm still very close friends with now that, that hunted. Um, one in particular was a very passionate hunter and, you know, we talked about going together and then he ended up going to the air force. And so after our freshman year, he was, uh, away at basic training and then deployed. And so it was kind of these almost like missed opportunities of, you know, like I want to go hunting and we almost got to go with this person that didn't really work out. Um, and my grandfather on my mom's side was a big hunter, but by the time I had expressed any real interest in going, he was already physically limited and it wasn't really viable for him to go anymore. Um, you know, but he was fortunate, you know, he gifted me several beautiful firearms that I still have and hunt with. Um, now, you know, basically for, you know, Hey, when you decide, you know, when the time finally comes that you go, you know, I wanted to at least get you what you needed to get started. Um, and so I started out with a Winchester model 70 chambered in 30 six, a uh, Remington 870 Wingmaster, um, Thompson Center Hawken 50 cal muzzleloader flintlock, and then um, a really old Mossberg 22 rifle. So I, I really got sort of the, if you were going to say, you know, what three or four guns does every hunter need just to be able to hunt most things? I got that out of the gate, which was great. Um, yeah, especially so, starting off with a Remington Wingmaster and a Winchester 70. Um, I mean, you can hunt pretty much any animal in the country with those two things, mm -hmm. Like that's pretty solid. Yeah. I was hugely fortunate. Um, and that, you know, that's kind of been the story of a lot of my hunting experience has been mentors and, and people that were willing to, you know, either in this case, like he did, he couldn't take me out, but he gave me the tools in a lot of ways to go out and do it, you know, or mentors that spent time with me. And so when I met, who's now my wife, Caitlin, um, her stepfather, who's my stepfather-in-law now, Stan, um, hunts a lot and he was willing to take me out. And so that was sort of the first opportunity I had to really go. Um, and he has been my mentor really since then. Um, you know, I've, I'm at, at this point, I'm in season six and, it, you know, as you both know, it, it takes a while, right? But you start to, after a couple of years, you start to get comfortable and you kind of start to find your own way as a hunter. And, and that's where I am now as I've, you know, I've kind of settled in on what I like to do and I'm proficient. Um, but he really sacrificed a lot of his time in the first couple of years. Um, you know, putting me in the good spot instead of himself, you know, basically spending more time trying to help me have success and learn than himself. And that's really, I think what makes a great hunting mentor is being willing to do that. Um, you know, I'm sure, you know, I haven't really mentored a ton of people yet. I'm sure you both probably have done more of that than I have. And you know that, you know, it, sometimes it requires you to almost take a back seat towards the person you're trying to get familiar and comfortable. Um, and he did that for me. And so we went out deer hunting on my first time going with him was what I now realize was a third to last day of Pennsylvania's rifle season in 2015. And I shot the eight point that is behind me on the wall right there, sitting in the stand about four hours. So, um, you know, that was how I started my hunting experience and it was great. And I didn't really understand at the time how fortunate I was to have that work out how it did that a buck, 
you know, even made it that long in Pennsylvania's, you know, between their archery and their rifle season, you know, you just don't see a ton of bucks on the third to last day on state game lands during gun season. That's a good start. Doesn't sound like it ruined you though, by any means. I mean, you get that first, uh, first hunt, it almost seems a little bit easy, but obviously you're still here six years later doing it. So I think that's proof that it doesn't ruin you. (laughs) No, it doesn't. No, it definitely doesn't. That's cool. So was deer kind of the first thing you jumped into? Had you done any like small game or or was deer kind of the first uh, venture into it? Deer was the first venture. Um, that was my first hunt. And, you know, and, and really to be, to be frank, it, it sounds crazy now because of how much I love hunting. But before I went the first time, I really wasn't sure. I didn't know how I was going to feel. Um, but it was an, it was something I had been interested in for a long time. And I sort of felt like, I should at least go and try. Maybe I won't like it and then I'll know. Um, but I've had this itch for a while and I, I just kind of want to scratch it and see what happens. Um, but when I killed that first buck and, and you know, kind of got that first experience, it was really kind of down the rabbit hole from there. And I started getting interested in hunting everything. And so, you know, one of the things that my uh, stand did for me that was great was that first season, he had not filled his buck tag yet. Um, but when rifle season ended and we have our, our late flintlock muzzleloader season that comes in after Christmas, um, I obviously, you know, getting my license that week of rifle season, I didn't have doe tags or anything else like that. So I had a buck tag to fill and that was it, filled it. And then I was done deer hunting for the year. So rather than go out flintlock hunting on Saturdays when he would usually have done that, he would take me out small game hunting instead. Um, and would, you know, sacrifice his own time to be flintlock hunting to take me out. And small game was really, I think, almost where I cut more of my teeth. Um, you know, I was fortunate to get the, you know, that deer in my first season. But, you know, I, I would say I spent a lot of time small game hunting, um, especially for squirrels. Squirrels, I think, are a really good way for anybody that's getting into hunting to, to kind of get their feet wet and see what they think. I think you can learn a lot of woodsmanship stuff hunting small game too, you know, rabbits, squirrels tracks, you know, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I think, I think small games are really good way, especially for someone that, you know, a new hunter, young hunter, whatever the case may be. I think that's a good place to, to get your feet wet. So that makes, you know, that makes sense. And that's cool that, like you said, Stan took the time to do that for you, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, especially when he hadn't gotten a deer yet that first season, it's hard to be selfless that way, you know? Um, and I remember still walking up on that buck and recovering my first animal. And as you and you know, anyone listening that's, that's killed an animal in any season knows it's a conflicting feeling when you do that, right? Especially, you know, having never done it before and walking up on that. I mean, there's a lot of emotion. There's a lot going on in your head at that moment. Um, you know, but I remember of everything I don't remember about, you know, it's all blur, right? You remember, but you kind of don't at the same time. I do remember him saying to me that he was happier that I had gotten that deer than if he had been sitting in the stand and had got one himself. And that's, you know, I think that's what makes a great mentor. And it made it easy for me to feel comfortable asking questions and doing a lot of that. Um, you know, so I just, it, you know, I can't thank him enough for, you know, at least getting me started on that path because it's, it's hard to figure it out yourself, you know, when you don't have anyone to show you the ropes and you don't, you know, you're trying to figure out even looking at the regulations and seasons and, you know, all of that. So it, I think it really helps to have somebody, but we are also fortunate that we live in a year at this point where if you want to figure it out yourself, there's never been more resources than there are to do it right now. 
Yeah, that's that's for sure. I mean, and it doesn't matter what you're trying to pick up. I mean, elk hunting, for instance. I mean, you know, three, four years ago, Cody and I said we're going out west hunt, hunting. Um, and, I mean, there were online courses to help you learn how to elk hunt. Right now, I'm trying to, for some reason, I want to figure out duck hunting. I'm trying to figure out <laughs> ducks and stuff like that. And there there are a lot of online resources for that, whether it be groups or YouTube videos or books or whatever. Like, there's a ton of information out there. And uh, you're right. If you want to figure it out, you have a really good start as opposed to, you know, when, say, I was in high school um, in the early 2000s. I mean, I had a mentor. Um, I had a couple mentors actually that helped me through hunting and learn hunting and, and whatnot. And without them, I wouldn't have learned half of what I know at this point. I wouldn't have had the, um, I wouldn't have had the consistent, uh, reps needed to, you know, sitting in the stand for three hours at a time when you're 15 and all you want to do is play video games and hang out with your buddies and stuff like that. And so it's a big difference. Absolutely. Agreed. So what else are you into any, anything else now? Is it still pretty much small game and deer or what, uh, what are you chasing these days? Um, I mean, definitely still deer. I mean, I would, you know, as far as hunting goes, deer is still my number one as far as, um, you know, target species, but I would say that I do a lot of, um, small game as well. I, I really like squirrel hunting, um, especially early season, you know, Pennsylvania rolled out the early squirrel opener, um, in 2020 was the first season they did that. And then they kept it in place last year. Um, it used to be that squirrels opened October, you know, second, third weekend of October, which was in the middle of archery season. And so it's always kind of tough to, you know, I love hunting squirrels, but on the other hand, you know, one deer in the freezer is more meat than I could get with, you can't, you can put 18 squirrels as your possession limit for a season in Pennsylvania and you still would never get close to that amount of meat. So it's hard to skip deer hunting to squirrel hunt. Um, but they opened up that early season and it gives you effectively three weekends now to go out and do that before deer even starts. And so I think it's a great way to warm up. And so I usually kind of look at my whole season I'm hunting as, you know, early season before archery comes in, it'll be squirrels. Um, I'm not a huge warm weather archery guy. I don't particularly like it that much. So if it's really hot, I will kind of wait those first couple of weeks, but you know, I'd say I really enjoy archery. Um, and then obviously we, you know, Pennsylvania's rifle season is, you know, I, I really, I enjoy going. I know that, you know, there's more pressure and there's some things that go along with that, but you know, I one of the, the pod, one of the podcasts that you guys have put out that I listened to that um, I was a particular fan of was the deer camp episode. And one of the things you guys were talking about was the, you know, archery versus gun season. And I think Aaron, you were talking about, you know, the Pennsylvania's steeped in tradition of gun season. Um, and I enjoy hunting it for that reason. I think it's, you know, it's a cool part of, you know, Pennsylvania's hunting tradition is like a holiday. Um, so deer occupies most of the time, you know, and then in the late season, you know, I'll look at either flintlock for deer or I'll go back out for small game. Um, I do some pheasant hunting as well. I don't have a dog, so I'm usually hoofing it by myself. And, you know, that is a love of labor. Um, you know, I usually have a little bit of success, you know, a couple birds a year, but, you know, with a dog, it, you know, it's got to be the right day to go do that. Um, haven't killed a bear yet, but I also like hunting black bears. That's one of my you know, I'd really like to get one, you know, I don't know that I'd go every year, but I would be really cool to get a nice Pennsylvania black bear. Um, and then turkeys as well. You know, I love spring gobbler season. You know, you've had a couple months of it being cold and, 
you know, then it finally starts to warm up a little bit. And, you know, I like hunting spring turkey too. You So two things, you do love squirrel hunting and I want to go squirrel hunting with you because you figured something out. Like every time that you go, it seems like you're pulling down four or five of those and you got close to a bear, close to getting one a couple of years ago, didn't you, with your bow? Last year I had a bear at probably 10 to 12 yards. It just, you know, you, you, you guys know how it is. Anyone that's in archery knows how it is. They just won't stop in the right spot. Um, you know, and, and those shots that maybe you take with a gun, right. You know, whether it's just kind of slow stepping and walking, but they won't stop. You know, some people might take that shot with a gun, but not many will take it with a bow. I know people that probably could, um, I'm not comfortable enough to take that shot. And so I didn't, and, you know, just wouldn't stop in the right spot. And, you know, it was kind of paralleling my stand for a little bit and then just started quartering away slowly and just wouldn't get back into a good shooting lane. And, um, you know, but that was, I had hunted bears a couple of years and hadn't really had much success and hadn't seen one in bear season. Um, and so, you know, it starts to get kind of, you know, you're like, man, like I just like to at least get kind of like you're sitting in the deer stand all day and you don't see anything. And then finally like three or four o'clock a doe comes in and even that you're like, okay, like at least I'm seeing something now to get the blood flowing a little bit. Having that encounter with that bear last year really just kind of reaffirmed that, yes, I want to try to do this. Like it would be really, really cool. I think bears are a really, um, really cool reflection of some of the rugged terrain that Pennsylvania has to offer. Um, you know, we're certainly not, you know, it's a different topography than any, a lot of the Western states and, you know, it's not quite mountains like those, uh, but Pennsylvania has a lot of its own rugged areas and, and mountainous places as well. Um, and I, I think bears epitomize that in that, you know, you'll, you'll go to um, sports bars or you know, wherever it is during the weekend, you know, maybe that Friday night before bear season opens, and you'll talk to people and you'll talk to people that have been bear hunting for 30 years plus that have never gotten one, never filled a tag. And they're just tricky. You know, they're kind of even more mysterious in some ways than deer. And, um, I, you know, that bear encounter was a really cool experience. Well, let me tell you, there's nothing more mysterious than a spring gobbler to Aaron. So you may have to, uh, you may have to help him out in that. I'm not the right person to help him on that either. I have the same problem myself. <laughs> well, I can't I, get him to drive to Michigan. So somebody in Pennsylvania <laughs> is going to have to help him. I, I can't, I can't, I just don't understand turkeys, man. I don't, I don't understand these turkeys. Like I could kill, I've killed a couple birds in Michigan. I don't know what it is. I don't know. When, well, when I take, when I take uh, Obi to Stotts, I might have uh, I might have a little time to have you take me out and show me what the hell I'm doing wrong and kill a bird or something. I don't know. We'll see. See, yeah, see what we can do. Yeah. So you've you've only been hunting for six years. Um, what what has been like your your yearly preparation like for hunting and? and kind of see if we can't segue into how that changed. Um, was it last year or the year before? Was it, was it 2020 or 2019? I would, most of the major changes happened in 2020. Um, okay. And so my, my short answer to that would be that the preparation and the, the work that went into weight loss absolutely was paralleled by my effort and previously lack of effort in, in preparing preparing like I should have been probably for, for hunting. Um, you know, it was, I would say, you know, prior to, um, getting myself in better shape, you know, I would certainly practice shooting and would do a lot of those things. 
Um, you know, I, the, one of the things I was always very cognizant of was, you know, if I'm going to go in the woods and hunt, I need to be proficient in whatever weapon I'm using, whether it's a gun, bow, you know, et cetera. Um, but the one area that I felt like my preparation was lacking was in scouting. Um, and I would say that that would be the biggest thing that I kind of forced myself to look in the mirror and say, you know what, you're not very good at this as far as scouting goes in particular last year and spent a lot of time in the summer, um, you know, working on that, putting cameras out and just walking through woods, reading sign. And it's been a hugely beneficial addition to my preparation that I really enjoy now. Um, but it was harder to do that at first. Yeah. I was going to say, like, I think that's something that's a lesson in itself. I think a lot of hunters, uh, struggle with being able to look at themselves in the mirror and pick out what they do poorly. Well, it's easy to practice what you're good at, right? You know, if, oh, you, yeah. can, if you can shoot your bow well, it's super easy to go out and shoot your bow every day. But yeah, yeah if you suck at scouting, it's like you really don't want to spend the time looking at maps because you don't feel like you know what you're doing. So, but yeah, you can make a huge difference and a huge jump as far as, you know, how you're doing things. If you can recognize some of those weaknesses and, and kind of start focusing on that, because, and I'm as guilty as anyone, like the bow being the prime example, like I love shooting my bow very easy for me to go out and shoot my bow every day. But at the same time, like I know there's other stuff that I probably need to be working on that would um, give me a little bit more bang for my buck too. Yeah. It's, it's hard as we, you know, as we all know, and, and I think most people have probably found themselves in a position at some point in their life where they've had to do this about something, right. Whether it's hunting related or otherwise, whatever it is, it's not easy to look in the mirror and say to yourself, I'm not very good at this. Absolutely. So, the looking in the mirror thing, how did that go? So, so to preface this, we haven't really gotten into like, like why Keith is here. Keith, uh, short and long of it, got serious about his health and lost a lot of weight. Uh, because I assume you looked at yourself in the mirror and said, I need to be better at this. So like, how did that conversation with yourself go? What was that? What was the thing that made you realize like, okay, I need to do something. Um, it was really a culmination of a couple things. I think, um, you know, one of them sort of being that, you know, when you look at yourself in the mirror every day, it's, it's easier to not notice things like gaining weight, you know, whatever it might be, but you know, eventually kind of gets to a point where you, you, you know, that things are different, right? Clothes don't fit anymore. You, you know, all of a sudden I realized I've replaced a whole wardrobe. Um, and that kind of started to give me pause of like, you know, like I'm, I'm buying new clothes now, right? Like something, this, something's obviously, you know, not great. Um, but I would say that the biggest thing that, you know, kind of forced me to start having these conversations with myself was after the 2019 hunting season, I, is a brief backstory. I had a couple seasons um, after having my initial success deer hunting. I'd say I had three seasons where I, I didn't film deer tags. And over those three seasons was when most of the weight gain happened. Um, you know, at the time, I didn't really understand that that was playing more of a role than I realized. But looking back, it definitely was. Um, and so after 2019 season, you know, sitting there at my third season of not, you know, having had a good hunting season, haven't filled a tag. And I'm just sitting there saying like, man, is it like, it can't, it has to be better than this, right? Like this can't be, this can't be like as good as it gets. It's because if it is, you know, I'm not sure I want to continue to hunt and 
having that thought process in my head was like, oh shit, like I love doing this, but it's getting to the point where going is not fun because I don't feel good. And I started realizing that when we were talking through plans of where to deer hunt, you know, not only was I not really scouting, you know, deep down, I know now looking back, it's because I was not in good shape and I didn't, I knew that. And so I knew that I couldn't cover the kind of ground I wanted to, but, you know, I would also think about where I wanted to hunt and, and a, a pivotal part of that conversation was, you know, am I going to be able to physically get in and out of there with an animal or not? And knowing that there were places I wanted to go and didn't because of that was really kind of the point where it was like, like, I'm like embarrassed, you know, that like I am not going places I would otherwise want to go scout or hunt just because I'm overweight and not in good shape. So that was sort of, you know, a catalyst for me to start looking at how I was living my life health wise and saying it might be time to make some changes. And that's kind of, you know, where, and you hear it all the time, you don't have to be in good shape to hunt. And I mean, do you need to be campaigns running a marathon a day? No. But to your point, I think it definitely can be a limiting factor, right? So like you're talking about, well, now I'm starting to think of maybe spots I do want to get to or, or trips I want to do or whatever. And I think your physical ability and your health really comes into play. So, um, you know, maybe jumping ahead a little bit, and I know we'll get like into, into the journey and kind of how this went, but um, like how soon did you start to kind of see some change as far as like, hey... I'm, I'm losing some weight. I'm in better shape. And now this isn't really a factor. I, I would say in 2020, uh, my, my weight loss started in ironically in like end of March, April, 2020, you know, I, another, I guess, sort of catalyst would have been that, you know, my job, you know, I was fortunate that I was able to work all through, um, you know, COVID and when it first hit in 2020, but I was sent home and we all worked remotely. Right. So that was, you know, and, there was a definite slowdown in, you know, work for a little while there. We weren't really having, um, you know, meetings weren't as common because you couldn't meet in person a lot. So had more downtime. And that sort of was the time where I was like, you know, like if there were ever a time to overhaul how I live my life from a health and fitness perspective, it's probably now. Um, and so March and April was when I started doing a lot of this. Uh, my wife had actually already started working on, you know, there were a couple of things that her, she wanted to, you know, continue improving her fitness as well. And so she was also, you know, sort of a spark of like, you know, Hey, I'm doing it. So you can get off your butt and do it too. And I appreciate her for that. Um, and you know, that hunting season I had, you know, I filled two deer tags in the 2020 hunting season. And I have sort of always looked at that as like, if I needed any other, you know, indication that, I made the right decision of, of doing something about my health and, and kind of taking ownership of my decisions up to that point, good and bad, you know, that was it that I just didn't feel it was coincidence that after a couple of seasons of not having much luck, that the first season I'm back in the woods after having lost um, at that point, probably 40 or 45 pounds. Um, you know, I just didn't think it was a coincidence, you know, so I would say that it would be that um, I also noticed it with even things like, um, going fly fishing. You know, I, I do a lot of fly fishing. I like to fish a lot of mountain streams for um, trout, usually native brook trout or, or brown trout. Um, and I noticed it there a lot that summer, you know, just like, man, like it's a little easier to get around than it was, you know, last year. Um, you know, and especially because I, you know, I, I'm an all day kind of person, whether it's hunting or fishing, I typically will go out for most of the day. Um, and I will, you know, I'll bring water and want to bring coffee and some of that kind of stuff. And 
you know, so my other barrier before when I was heavier was not only was I already heavy, but then if I want to carry anything in with me, I'm adding even more weight. Um, and so that would, I think, be where I, you know, I kind of first noticed it last summer was when I'd be out fishing. Um, you know, I noticed, you know, even just things like range of motion, right? That was something I was going to mention later, um, you know, at some point in the conversation, as far as kind of differences I noticed is, um, you know, even just contorting your body, whether you're sitting on the ground and hunting, right? Like it's, it's, I'm only five foot eight, so I'm not tall. Um, so, you know, my peak weight was 260 pounds. That's a lot of weight for on my frame. It's not very tall. And it was tough to even shift around without being noticed. Right. I do most of my gun hunting on the ground. Um, I don't like heights, so I embrace them grudgingly for archery, but I don't usually hunt from a tree during gun season. Um, you know, and even then sitting on the ground, you know, at that weight with all of my, you know, then you have bibs on and, you know, you got some kind of insulated jacket, you know, all of a sudden I felt like that kid in a Christmas story where I'm like, I can't even, how, how am I supposed to shift myself from one side of the woods to the other if I need to do like a weak side shot or something, you know? And, and so it's, it's little things like that that I just didn't really notice were becoming more difficult until I lost the weight and then realized like, oh, that was not as unpleasant as it once was. You make a really good point about um, kind of figuring in then, you know, it's not just your body weight. It's also what you're carrying in with you. Um, especially like Western hunting, you know, that's a big conversation and people are always looking at what's the lightest, you know, how can I shave a few ounces here, a few pounds here? Um, like in the saddle hunting community, I'm sure you see this Aaron, but like guys are always looking at ways. How can I get these sticks lighter? How can I take a drill press to these sticks and shave off three ounces? And I'm always like, that, you know, I hate to say this cause I probably sound judgmental, but I'm like, I guarantee most people can lose five pounds. Like you probably have five pounds to lose somewhere. That's going to do you so much better in the weight you're carrying into the woods than, than it is taking and a drill press to these sticks. Let alone $400 sticks that yeah, these guys I, are buying because they're lightweight. Oh, I'm going to make them lighter. It, dude, go for a walk and maybe sub in an apple for that uh, bowl of ice cream at the end of the night. And you'll I mean, be I'm being judgmental ahead. too, but yeah, you'd be money ahead. Um, I'm being judgmental with that. I mean, I just... 40% of my diet over Christmas break was beer and cookies. So <laughs> I can't really judge anybody right now, but yeah, we're in the same boat on that one, buddy. <laughs> so not to numbers are sexy and everyone likes numbers. And I just want to get this out of the way. You're sub 200 now, right? I am. Yep. That's incredible. About 195 right now. So we're, um, and, and that was, so in six months time, you lost 40 ish pounds or so, right? So I, I initially, I'll just kind of do the kind of brief number yeah, crunching and get yeah, it out of the way. Um, my heaviest was 260 pounds, at least the heaviest that I can remember, you know, to be blunt, I didn't get on a scale for a while. So I don't, yeah, I don't know if it ever got worse than that or not. Um, but I ended up in 2020 hunting season, I was probably floating anywhere from 215 to 225, right? Um, you know, there's always weight fluctuations in there, especially for someone like me who has struggled with it, you know, and is, you know, working on making lifestyle changes to better that there's always going to be kind of ups and downs a little bit in there. Um, and then I probably hovered around that 250 or 215, excuse me, 220 range through the end of 2020 into 2021. And I probably shed off the last of that to where I am now, um, you know, throughout the late spring, summer into this season. Um, I probably started the hunting season 
around 210, 205, somewhere in there, um, and then shut off the last couple. Now, I haven't been on a scale in about a week or two. So I'm with it. Like Aaron, I like my Mad Elfs and, and cookies over Christmas time. So I may be a little, you know, might be a couple pounds heavier now, but uh, 195 has been about where I've been um, since uh, bear season of this year was kind of around where I was. Yeah, that's solid. Yeah, I hopped on a scale at my grandma and grandpa's and I was like, oh, that scale's like 30 years old. It can't be right. I hopped <laughs> on their other scale and I was like, shit, it is right. That's not good. Um, no, it, you're, it speaks to like what you did speaks to one, getting started. You and I were having a conversation earlier today and I finally said, we need to save something for like the podcast because like, that's why we're having you on. It's hard to get started. I think getting started is the hardest thing. But being consistent for as long as you have is just as difficult, if not more difficult. So I have to kind of give you a virtual pat in the back for that because a lot of people will get down to where they want to be and they'll throw their hands up and say, well, I'm fine. And then they'll regress. But it is a lot of up and down, though, um, as you experienced. I mean, that's just how it is. It is. And I, I appreciate that. You know, I, I think that my, you know, my, if, if I can do it, anybody can. And I, I really believe that, you know, I'm not a exceptionally physically gifted person as far. I'm not you know, overly athletic. I don't have great genetics as far as, you know, we've all seen somebody that is just in great shape and is shredded regardless of what they eat or drink. Um, I'm not that person. And so, you know, I, that's kind of one of the things that I guess I pride myself on in some degree is that, you know, I was able to get to that point without having some of those things. Um, but it also then does require a lot of discipline and I'm not perfect either. I mean, I have periods where, you know, for me, um, one of the things I focused on the most was portion control. You know, I, I had to be honest with myself about what I was and was not willing to give up food wise. Um, you know, I, I, I like food, you know, I'm, I'm Italian, right? So, I mean, carbs are, you know, a staple of my diet. I could eat, I could eat pasta of some kind every day for the rest of my life and would never get sick of it. I swear um, you guys make pasta more than any other couple that I ever, I, I, that I know, like every week you're posting fresh made pasta out of your kitchen. That's probably true. And I, that, it's probably a reflection that I had too much time on my hands. Um, but yeah. And so the discipline is, is really hard. And I mean, I still struggle with it. You know, it, a lot of times for me, it's, it's still a daily thing of, you know, sometimes my mentality will be, Hey, I feel good today and I'm not feeling like snacky today. So I'm just going to not do that because there might be another day later on this week where I am not having as good of a day and I am hungry and want to do that. Um, you, you know, so it, just, it, it requires discipline. Um, but, you know, I, I really believe that if I can do it, anybody can, you know, and I think that was kind of what I needed was, you know, just a kick in the butt to say like, you don't, you know, I'm an ordinary person, right? ordinary person can still, you know, achieve whatever they want and lose that weight if you are willing to be disciplined. Um, you know, and, and I think that that is, it is a really hard thing, right? Cause it, it's not, you can't, like Aaron said, if you get comfortable and just kind of like, ah, you know, I'm not going to keep track of what I'm eating or I'm not going to do this or that. You know, I went through a period where I did that and gained back about 15 or 20 pounds, you know, in this year and a half stretch. Um, it happens very easily. I think something you said earlier is kind of the key where you mentioned that you kind of have to make a lifestyle change. You know, you have to look at this as something with some longevity. Um, 
you know, working in healthcare, I get, I get questions a lot on diets. What do you think of the keto diet? What do you think of this diet? What do you think of that diet? And it's always, is this something that's sustainable? You know, A, is it healthy? And then B, is it something that's sustainable? Can you eat keto forever? Probably not, you know? So, um, what did, what were some of the things that you did to kind of incorporate this into more of a lifestyle change versus just, Hey, I'm going to diet and exercise to try to lose some weight. Um, so to be totally transparent, I use Weight Watchers. Um, I knew some people that had had success on it and I, you know, like you, I've looked at a lot of those diets and I was just honest with myself and I, was, I didn't feel that I was going to be willing to do that. I didn't want to cut out carbs entirely. So that was just not going to be an option. Um, you know, I looked into some of the other, you know, they have, you know, diet programs that have special meals and, you know, we like to cook and I just wasn't going to want to do that. And so, you know, the big, you know, Weight Watchers was one of those things that just kind of gave me the ability to, you know, you, you have the app, I can track everything I'm eating, it assigns a point value to certain foods and, you know, lesser or more points to other foods. And, you know, for me, it seemed like a solution that would allow me to still eat, drink the things that I wanted within reason. Um, but at a time where I didn't feel that I could hold myself accountable, it was a lot easier to have an app in a, a system like that, that I could just plug it in and it would hold me accountable. As long as I was willing to put in what I was eating, it would do that. And I also liked that it, it now again, it's an app, right? You can be as disciplined or undisciplined as you want. Um, but weighing in every week is a part of that process as well to hold you accountable of saying, okay, you're going to weigh in this day every week and the app will track where you are in that, you know, whether you're up, down and, and you know, all of that. And you can add in notes about, you know, what felt good this week, what didn't feel good this week, um, goals for next week. It also gives you, you know, you can earn points through exercise. And that was a huge thing for me at first was, you know, basically in my beginning phase, I said, oh, I can eat more if I exercise. So, okay, I'm going to do that. <laughs> so, you know, I would start, you know, but then it's, you can kind of see how if you start doing a lot of those things, you know, over time, it just kind of meshes together and you get to the point where I am now where, you know, I'm still very aware of what I eat every day, but it, it, I don't feel, I still don't feel comfortable at the moment. Um, you know, but it has at least given me the ability of being more aware of like, okay, maybe I'm going to, maybe I'm not going to track right now, or maybe I'm not, you know, like Christmas, right. I don't track over the holidays because I just, you know, it's one of those times I want to be able to enjoy myself a little bit and indulge more than usual, but I have a better idea now of what a reasonable portion is for me and how much I actually need to be full right? Not how much do I, you know, how much can I eat before I feel like sick? Yeah. I think that's the nice thing about, um, like the weight watchers, like you said, with the point system in the app is you do get that, that sense of accountability and it makes a big difference. You know, like when I'm, when I'm really getting after it and exercising and I'm wanting to keep track of stuff, I use like my fitness pal to track calories and stuff. And you notice a difference, you know, there's something mm -hmm. about having to go in there and put the calories in for every meal. And then it's, you know, dinner time and you're like, okay, I'm pretty much where I need to be or, Hey, I got room for a snack, you know, after whatever. Um, yeah, I think there's something to that accountability and, and I don't even think it's something that you need to do like every day. You know, once you kind of get in the routine, like you said, you kind of know now what your portion size needs to be and, and what things need to look like. But I think there is something to kind of at least building that habit of doing it for a while and giving yourself some accountability through something as simple as an app. Agreed. 
and you know, there's always like a stigma, right? You know, I, I, you know, at least I've heard it, you know, it, from people in Reddit over time of you know, like, oh, you know, Weight Watch, it just teaches you, you know, portion control and this or that, and you can do that yourself. And, you know, for me, my feeling was maybe other people can, but I felt that I was at a point where I was like, I am obviously not able to do this myself because if I were, I wouldn't be in this position. You know, so I think that for people like me who needed some kind of external accountability, at least to get them started, um, anything like that was is immensely valuable, um, you know, in teaching you portion control. And, you know, so I, you know, I'm very transparent, open about what I, you know, that it helped me a lot to lose weight. And I would continue to advocate for, you know, anyone that is either struggling with it or even just wants to get better at you know the Porsche control part you know if you're like me and you like to eat chips in the evening or watching football or something like that it's really valuable to just be able to see it visually and see where you are in your day and what you ate and you know it, i it helps me immensely I, I find that comment that whoever said that to you that all it teaches you is portion control um that's As if that's a bad thing yeah no <laughs> shit like, <laughs> like the the thing like like did I, they I, work I for Frito Lay or what's the I, I guess I think the idea is that they they you know I, I think that some people feel that you should not need something external to teach you that and that you should just have the the discipline to do it yourself, um, which I, I find sort of silly. Um, I I just I I think that most of the world is cyclical in their emotions and when they're doing well and not doing well. And I I you know I I just have never really understood the you know, if you're, you know, the Tom Brady's of the world that, you know, really just eat avocado ice cream and like don't drink beer for 20 some years. And you know, that's great. Well, um, but I know a, I'm not, I'm not that person. So I know guy, that I need something else. Eh, Tom Brady also has like a personal chef and a nutritionist that controls every fucking calorie that he consumes. Granted, mm-hmm. the dude apparently can legendarily chug beer with the best of them in the world from stories. And there's a video out there somewhere of him just downing a beer very fast. But like, that's an external motivator. That's an external mm-hmm. impact on your body, on, on you. Like, we learn stuff every day from external things. It's not like, oh, I know portion control. I can do that. Like, if you don't have a background in nutrition or or know where to look, which ironically was taught by an external outlet, you're probably not going to know portion control. So like... I don't know. Using that to teach you port control, teach yourself port control with that. Go for it. Like that's a great tool to use. Um, do I have qualms with Weight Watchers? Sure, but it works. So, I mean, if, as long as you can keep it consistent, then it did its job. Yeah, and that's. I think it's you know, no system's perfect, right? Um, you know, but I think the idea that you know, people, you know, if it works, like you said, if it works for you, great, do it. You know, I, I'm all for whatever helps people improve themselves um, because, you know, it, that looks different for everybody. So, Keith, you obviously, you know, you cleaned up the diet. It sounds like portion control was obviously a big thing and, and made some changes there. What um what things did you start doing from a fitness ex- aspect as far as exercise? Um, where did that kind of come into play in all this? Yeah, so... Um, so it's a you know a brief background and and ultimately this is kind of what made it harder for me I think to initially accept where I was was that um, I had been involved in in combat sports for most of my life um, I was never you know I played some team sports as a kid was never you know just wasn't really my thing 
uh, my parents signed me up for Taekwondo when I was seven. And I trained in Taekwondo for 14 or 15 years. And, um, and then I, I wrestled a couple of years in high school. I'm a third degree black belt. Yeah. How did we never have this conversation? Were you just like hiding from me and just waiting for the moment to just roundhouse kick me in the face when I said something? Because <laughs> if the first time I met you, I said, hi, I'm Keith. I'm a third degree black belt. You'd be like, wow, I hate that guy. Probably out of the, you're a giant douchebag. <laughs> and he can kick my ass. <laughs> <clears throat> like, oh, he's still pretty short, so I don't know. Um, but, you know, between that, wrestling a couple years throughout high school, and then I, I did a year of Brazilian jiu-jitsu and I graduated college. Um, which I want to get back into at some point, but time is just, you know, as you all know, time is limited. Um, you know, along with that, you know, I obviously lifted weights and did a lot of that. And so, you know, I sometimes think that I was wondering if maybe I burned myself out in some respect, you know, and that I just kept doing that stuff all through college as well. And then, you know, graduated college and, and got my first, you know, real adult job and was busier. And all of a sudden I was like, well, I'm kind of tired. I don't know if I want to go to the gym today. Um, and so, Having that having been my background, when I finally kind of got to the point where I gained most of my weight, I think it was honestly even more embarrassing for me internally to think about, you know, like this is where I was for a lot of my life and I let myself get to here. And, you know, I think that was part of what perpetuated me not doing anything about it was that I didn't want to accept that that was true. Um, but once I finally did that, you know, I kind of started, I've always been a person that I want something on the other end of it, right? Like if anyone listens to uh, meat eater content, one of the things I always hear Steve Arnella say is, you know, he's like, I appreciate the person that can just go backpack just to backpack, but I kind of need something. I'm, I want to, I want to come away with something for my effort. Um, I'm kind of that way too with exercise. I usually want to have a, a specific goal I'm working towards and that makes it easier for me to be consistent. So I sort of how I used to kind of lift weights specifically for, you know, Taekwondo or whatever it was I was doing martial arts wise, you know, since hunting is a, a huge part of my life now and occupies most of my free time as far as a hobby goes, this time around, I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to look at like, what do I want to be good at physically for hunting? And for me, I felt like my legs were the number one thing, right? Anyone out there that has uh, watched Miracle, it's a great sports movie. Um, you know, that scene with Herb Brooks when he has all the players doing wall sits and they're passing that 45 pound plate back and forth. You know, you think about that and you think about, you know, his quote, legs feed the wolf. That was kind of my philosophy is like, I'm going to get my legs built up enough that as I'm working on losing the rest of my weight and getting in better shape otherwise, that I at least won't be worried about getting up another hill again, right? That was the worst part of the, being heavy for me and hunting was that I would be, you know, intimidated by really rugged, steep terrain. And I just, I didn't want that to be a problem anymore. And so I did a lot of bicycling, which I still do at the moment. Um, a couple of years ago, I got invited on a, um, it's a bike MS is a national organization for multiple sclerosis. Um, they do walking events as well. And I think they may do running events. I'm not totally sure. Um, but they do bicycling events nationwide to raise money for MS research. And a couple of years ago, I got invited to do a ride in Western Pennsylvania with uh, a friend of mine and a team that he rode with. Um, and it was a two-day ride, and it was about 150 miles um, all together. It was 70-some miles each day. And did that ride with him when I was in college um, through Western Pennsylvania. It's For anyone that's listening from PA, knows Western part of the state, it started at Moraine State Park, and we went up to Erie um, and then went to Conneaut Lake, Ohio, the second day. Um, 
I really enjoyed that. And I ended up buying a road bicycle and did the ride again the next year. And bicycling has just kind of been a thing that my adult life I'd found that I really enjoyed. And so that's been what I've been doing most of the time for exercise since I started losing weight was put that thing on a trainer, put it in one of the spare rooms and just, you know, at least 30 minutes to an hour, four times a week is my goal to get on that thing and just, you know, pedal. Um, and it's, it's helped my leg, you know, as far as muscle endurance a lot, um, you know, and that's made it easier than to, you know, go on hikes and do those kinds of things, right? When, you're, when your legs don't get tired immediately, it makes it easier to go farther. And that in turn then has helped me have, you know, better workouts and, and, and uh, enjoy being outside more. So I would say bicycling is number one. Um, I, I do a lot of hiking as well, you know, weather permitting. Um, and then I, I do want to get back in the weight room. So I'd say that's probably something that, you know, this year, I may be looking to add in is, is starting to get back in a weight room again. I used to enjoy lifting weights, um, but kind of got away from it for the last couple of years. You mentioned um, you like to hike too. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, and you took part in the the BHA hike to hunt event. Was that last year? When did they do that? Was so it... they, they do it every year. I participated okay. in it last year and I did it this year as well. Okay. Do you mind speaking about that? Just kind of what it is and what drew you to that? Sure. So uh, Hike to Hunt um, is a fundraising slash fitness um, initiative from backcountry hunters and anglers. Um, and the general premise is, you know, you hike, you set a number of miles you want to hike as a goal. Um, and then people donate on your behalf, either on a, you know, cent per mile basis or a flat dollar amount up to whatever your fundraising goal is. Um, and basically then the idea is that from June to August, um, every year, it's sort of a enjoyed summertime weather, but also kind of prepare yourself fitness wise for the upcoming hunting season event. And, um, that's really what it is. You know, you, you track, they have a special app that you download that tracks your miles or whatever it is you're doing. Um, when I did it in 2020, it was hiking only. Um, uh, but this year they actually rolled out being able to give you miles for bicycling and like paddle sports, like kayaking, things like that as well, which I thought was really cool. Um, you know, rewards people that are getting out and maybe not hiking, but you know, those are also, you know, anyone that's ever paddled enough miles knows that's, you know, your shoulders will be really tired. So that, you know, that's exercise as well. Um, and that's really the kind of the short of what it does. And, you know, it's the fundraising obviously goes towards helping BHA, um, you know, and their mission that I firmly believe in. Um, but it also, you know, gives, it's a nice kind of camaraderie thing with, you know, both statewide and nationally. Um, and then they'll post, you know, the leaderboards and results on the BHA website. So you can go in and look and see where you are compared to everybody else. And, you know, I think it's a really cool thing to kind of push each other to exercise and, you know, not kind of take the summer off. And I think as we're talking about preparing for the upcoming hunting season, for me, I think hike to hunt's a great way to do that, right? You're, if you're out hiking and being that active through that time, by the time August rolls around, you're already probably in pretty good shape and, you know, I don't hunt out west. I know, you know, you guys do, a lot of other guys do, and I know those seasons come in a little earlier. So at that point, you're probably already pretty close to hunting season. You used hike to hunt though as a motivator, right? It was a motivator or a means or or I know it was a big part of it. I remember that. Um, both. I would say probably a little bit more means than motivator, only because I had already lost some weight when I started hike to hunt in 2020. But it definitely probably pushed my progress through the summer of 2020 faster than what I would have done otherwise. Um, you know, my, my job, you know, I, I'm, I work 
you know, during the day and don't really have much opportunity, to, you know, to do a lot weekly, you know, so it was really kind of squeezing the hikes on the mornings or weekends. Um, and so we were probably hiking three to four times a week um, for July through August. And so by the time hike to hunt ended in mid August, you know, I was already feeling pretty good. It was in good shape. Um, and that, I actually gained, I, that was when I gained some weight back over that hunting season. When I filled my two deer tags, I kicked my feet up and said, Oh, okay. <clears throat> now it's time to relax. And, uh, it, it, that's it gain it back quick. You were kind of busy in 2020, um, to be able to work in workouts, lifestyle change, hiking three to four days a week. You put on a lot of miles in that thing. Like that's, it takes, it takes a lot of commitment. It does. And I'll be honest by the end of it. I mean, we didn't hike for a while. <laughs> like, you know, one of the things that we looked at it changing when, you know, cause my wife did it with me. Um, God bless her. She hiked with me all hundred miles last year, which is, you know, I would have wanted to do it. So I give her a lot of credit. Um, but because it was a lot of short hikes, we just kind of got really burnt out with it by the end. And so, you know, this year and moving forward, the name of the game is, is trying to plan longer hikes less often. Um, but that is all honestly easier now than it was at that time because we're in better shape. You know, even when I first started to hike to hunt, you know, I was still really in transition of getting in better shape, but still not close to where I wanted to be yet. And so, you know, the, the idea of doing a 10 plus mile hike at that time was still a little difficult and intimidating, right? It, it, you know, that's, that feels more accessible now than it, when it did then. The thing I like about these like challenges too, is they bring in some, um, they bring in like that mental aspect, you know, like, yes, you physically have to hike these miles, but at the same time, like you said, you're almost kind of getting like burned out at, at the end of it, but there's still like that mental aspect, you know, because hunting, there's obviously a, a strong, uh, mental component, you know, where, where mentally you have to make sure you're in the game. So I always like these challenges where you really kind of have to stay in it, uh, mentally, like, um, you know, Goggins, David Goggins does that, like run four miles every four hours for 48 hours, which sounds super grueling, but I'd love to do it sometime just because like, that's going to be so mentally taxing. And I think you can mm -hmm. kind of build that stuff up and, and that's stuff you can look back on in the fall because like out West, you know, yes, you have to be physically in good shape, but when you're out in the mountains for seven, eight, nine days, like it's, it becomes as much of a mental game as it does a physical game. So I think these challenges like hike to hunt and, and that are, are good for the physical aspect, but then you're also kind of building some of that mental strength too, that I think is super important. That metal game comes in so much, not, not in like the first two or three days of a hunt, like going out West. And, and I act like I've been out West a hundred times. I've been out West twice hunting, but those last like two days of the hunt, when you haven't seen an elk for five days and haven't heard an elk for three days, that's when the mental game comes in and makes you just go. Well, I'd say for me, I have never been out West, so I, I can't firsthand relate to that experience, but I know how tough it can be to sit in a tree stand all day. And, you know, so that alone is difficult. So I can't imagine what it's probably like to be. Oh, an all day, you know, an all day tree stand sit definitely has a mental component to it. Anybody that tells you different is lying has never actually done an all day sit because especially if you haven't seen deer all day, you're questioning everything, mm -hmm. absolutely everything about your, your stand placement, your stand height, more of this camo works. What wind is it? Are you sure the wind's going that way? Et cetera, et cetera. You question everything. 
Absolutely. You know, I, I, I'm sure that it's even a different beast yet being in the mountains out West for that many days in a row and, you know, having it be slow for three or four days. I mean, I've never experienced that, but I'm sure it's incredibly difficult. Um, but even just sitting in, in a tree stand in Pennsylvania all day, like Aaron said, yeah, I mean, man, it, when you're not seeing deer, you know, it's, it's three o'clock and you haven't seen anything yet and you're planning on sitting until dark. I mean, you just, you know, you're bored, right? If you're like me, I, I, I try to not be on my phone and do a lot of that, you know, because I want to make sure I'm paying attention. Um, in my first couple of years of hunting, you know, I got caught napping a couple of times and, you know, it's like, you're not, you know, even maybe if you kind of stir when a deer is coming in, but you weren't prepared, then you're scrambling and that's how bad shots happen or you don't get a shot opportunity at all. And, um, but, you know, it requires a lot of discipline to sit and pay attention for at least eight hours. That's tough. Yeah. And that's where I think, you know, if you're, if you're disciplined in your everyday life more so like you're, you know, like in your case, you're doing the exercise, you're, you know, you're making diet changes. I think that at least makes that a little bit easier. You know, it's something that you're used to doing. I'm not going to say it's easy by any means, even, I think even at times just getting up and going, I mean, deer season's a long, like I hate to use the word grind cause it's kind of cliche, but it can become kind of a grind, you know, like here we, and I don't, I think your see your guys season's longer than ours, I think, but you know, we start October one and it goes to January one. And if you hunt most of that time, like it, it gets to be long. So even just like that staying mentally sharp to where like, Hey, my alarm's going off three hours before daylight or whatever. If you're Aaron a half hour before. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, I, uh, I actually was, I meant to uh, bring that up at some point. That was one of the other things I noticed on, on some of your previous podcasts is there's a, definitely a, one side of the fence and the other side of the fence in this podcast, as far as who's getting up early and, and who likes to sleep in a little while. I will gladly get up early. I will gladly get up early as it takes. However, when I hunt alone, it is very, it is very difficult for me to get up and go, um, and get there at a certain time. I will go, but I just won't get there when I want to get there. <laughs> That's the only thing. There's, no, there's no external person holding you accountable. Right. Oh yeah. If, if Chris calls me and says, Hey, we're going, we're going out tomorrow morning. I'll be out there at five and daylight's at seven 30 or whatever. Then I'll be outside at five. I've only been late once. So don't let him tell you otherwise. He's going to listen to this. And he's going to tell you that no, I have picked him up late several times. That's a lie. But no, Cody, that, I wanted to go back to your point about being disciplined in your everyday life and and Keith, you know, relating that to yours, like you, like what Cody said with lifestyle change, exercising, plugging in your numbers in the app, watching what you eat, et cetera, that does carry over. It's just like, there's a, there's a cliche. I don't know if it's a cliche. I, I actually think there actually is some research to this that when you start doing one or two healthy things or more disciplined things, you start doing more and more of them. Um, and I think there's some validity to that. I think there's some, some real life like numbers out there that I'm sure that when you are disciplined or healthy in one area, it's going to roll over to other areas as well. Absolutely. I, I agree 100%. Um, it, it, it makes, at least, you know, my personal experience, it makes me more thoughtful and how I approach everything else. Right. I, I, as I became, you know, more almost meticulous to, lack of a better word about how I was eating and, and my exercise schedule, and what I was doing, you know, that sort of spilled over into being a little bit more uh, meticulous about even the things like packing my stuff to hunt the day before the hunt, 
you know, my first couple of years, I was like a roll out of bed in the morning and pack it all up as I'm that morning and leave. And that is just not, I mean, like it, I would be, I would be like getting on somebody's case about doing that now. And that was me for a couple of years. You know, it was little things like that of as I felt better and had more energy and was becoming more mindful about how I approached everything else. You know, at one point I was like, maybe packing all my shit in the 10 minutes before I have to leave in the morning is not the best way to go about doing that. That's funny because there's no way I could do that. I take way too much. <laughs> you mentioned, um, you know, we just had the holidays and obviously you weren't tracking, weren't, weren't doing a lot of things, but what's kind of on the, is there anything new on the horizon for you this year as far as like anything different you're doing diet wise, exercise wise, or is it just kind of getting back into, into the old routine? Um, I would say we had a really busy holiday season. And so I would say getting back into the old routine is probably step one. I just, you know, I know that I haven't been as strict as I need to be over the last couple of weeks. And so I, I want to get back to being more consistent that way. Um, but I definitely think I'm also, you know, looking at, at new challenges and, and new goals as well. Um, that's part of what helps me stay motivated is, you know, okay, I accomplished this one. What's the next one? You know, I don't think that I do as well being static and, and not having a specific thing I'm working towards. Um, you know, so for this year, I would say, um, uh, my, my big fitness goal is, um, that bike MS ride that I mentioned earlier that takes place in the summer. Um, it used to be called escape to the lake. Um, the ride that would go to Erie. I don't know if it's still called that now, but I want to do that ride again. Um, probably not this summer, but like 2023, um, I want to do that. And so I want to, they do a, a, a shorter ride that takes place um, in a little bit north or in Pennsylvania in uh, Cook Forest area, which is near Clarion, um, called the Cook Forest River Ride. Bike MS also sponsors this one. It's the same style of ride, just different location. Um, and most of the ride, from what I have read, kind of runs along the Clarion River, which would be cool. Um, and they have a 35-mile route and a 65-mile route, but they're both just a one-day ride. Um, so a little bit shorter than the escape to the lake ride. And so what I would like to do would be to do that ride this fall as sort of a warm up and do the 65 mile route. And then next summer do the, the longer two day ride. Um, you know, that would be one of those things that I did years ago when I was in good shape and haven't done since. And if I could get back and do that ride again successfully, I think that personally, that would mean a lot for me as an, as an internal goal of being able to say like, you know what, like I got back to being able to do that again when I wasn't sure for a time if I'd be able to or not. How far is that two day ride? Like how many miles? Um, I think it evens out to be about 150 miles. If I'm remembering correctly, I know the first day was 74 and I, I don't remember the first year what the second day was. The second year that I did it, there was a route to go back to um, Zillianople, which is nearby where I live. So it took that route, obviously, instead of continuing into Ohio. And that was 78 miles back the second day. Um, that's so that's a hike or a ride. It is. It is. <laughs> it is a blast. It's very fun. You see a lot of, you know, rural Pennsylvania, which I really, you know, I love Pennsylvania as a state. Um, it's my home state. I love the culture here. A lot of history um, and seeing a lot of those small towns is, is really neat. I really enjoy that. Um, but. Pennsylvania has a lot of hills and it is also grueling, um, you know, and that's, that's kind of the, you know, what is it? They say type A, type B fun, right? Like the roller coaster is fun, but you probably won't remember that, you know, 30 years down the road, but 
you know, something that was maybe not that fun in the moment, but you accomplish it. You look back and you say, you know what? That was pretty cool. I'm glad I did that. We talked about uh, fitness goals. What are some of your, what are some of your hunting goals for the upcoming season? Um, so I would say I'm still, you know, I'm still at the point where I, I know I'm still learning. Um, and I, and in some ways I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still learning Pennsylvania, you know, that's, I, I certainly want to go out West and do a lot of those things, um, down the road, but I've, I'm kind of a one at a time person. And I, I know that I still have a lot to learn about hunting my own state here in PA. So I would say that for this year, um, maybe not any specific goal as far as, you know, a certain number of tag, you know, I don't really look at it that way anyway. Um, but I would say just, you know, continue to be consistent with my fitness routine so that when hunting season comes around this year, I can also feel physically prepared. Um, you know, and I would say other than that, um, just have a good season. I do have a specific goal of hunting for my saddle this year. So I did buy a saddle last year, um, have not hunted out of it yet. I didn't get really about, I didn't have much time to practice with it or didn't get any time to practice shooting out of it. And so I didn't feel comfortable hunting out of it, but that is one specific goal I do have for this season is um, I, I want to practice with the saddle over the summer so that by hunting season, I can at least be comfortable enough to hunt out of it. You're going to love that thing. I'm excited for it. And that's one of those things that I, you know, I looked at those when I was heavier, but I to be blunt, I just didn't feel comfortable. You know, I, I wasn't a mobile hunter anyway, because I had a hard time moving around to that degree. Um, and I was not a huge fan of getting up into a tree at that weight, especially because I didn't, you know, I know there, you know, I know the weight ratings and all that. And I'm sure that, you know, I know they are safe for a person to get in that is 260 pounds, you know, but as you guys know, with anything mentally, if you don't feel comfortable, it's, it's not going to go well. And I believe that. And so I didn't hunt out of it. Um, and then, you know, lost the weight and decided I wanted to pull the trigger on it and, and start learning how to use one because I am interested in being more mobile. Um, I was, I was mobile last year with a climber. And this year with a climber and, you know, climber's great. I killed a deer out of my climber uh, last year when I hunted out of it for the first time, but they are clunky and they're still heavy, you know, and now that I can actually mo you know, do more mobile hunting, um, the saddle was kind of my, you know, the next step, I guess, for me, right? You know, I, I feel a lot more proficient as a gun hunter than an archery hunter. I'm, I, I feel that I've, I've got even more to learn in archery um, and I've got more to learn in every part of hunting. You know, but I'd say archery is probably maybe the, I guess if I had to pick a singular focus for this year, you know, that's one area that, you know, shooting the bow, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable. Um, I'd say I'm probably 30 yards is my effective hunting range. Um, but, you know, there's a lot more that goes into that, that I'm not as well versed in, you know, and I, I want to get, um, you know, I want to get better at that part of hunting this year. Yeah. Smart to wait a little bit. The saddle's not, it's not like super different but there's definitely a little bit of a learning curve with you know shooting and different angles getting around the tree that kind of thing so i think that was smart but yeah if you're if you're coming from a climber you'll probably really enjoy it um i have to ask just out of my own curiosity what's your saddle setup what are you what are you gonna be using so i got the uh tethered i got the what is the mantis is it, um, is it brown or green it is brown it's the phantom I got, I have that one too. I'll have to look. I don't remember what it could was. be a menace. I, uh, it's, too. it's menace. That's it. Okay. I'm sorry. It wasn't mantis. It was menace. Yep. Yeah. Oh, they, menace? I, yeah. Yep. That was it. Okay. I do. It was with an M and I'm not, I think mantis was a, one of their older models, maybe a couple of years ago. They came yep. out with. Yep. Yep. 
Okay. Yeah. So I have this tethered menace. Nice. Thank you. Um, and I picked up the Hawk helium sticks. Um, I think they're two and a half pounds per stick, but you know, and I want it's light enough it'll work for now. Yeah. You know, maybe nice down the road, I'll, I'll get, I'll get better sticks, but I, I've read good reviews and know some people that use them and like them. And um, so that's my basic setup. And then I um, don't really have a whole lot other than that. Um, I did sub out the Prusik knots for the Ropemans. Um, nice. It just seemed like but, it was a little bit more user friendly to, I found it very hard to try to adjust the height of my saddle when I was already in it with a Prusik knot. Um, as far as, you know, you can't just pull your tether and raise yourself up. You kind of have to loosen it enough and skirt it up as you, you know, I, I found the Ropemans to be a lot more user friendly. Um, and I've got a couple of the, I can't remember. I'm, I'm a bad Tether's probably listening. I was like, man, this guy could never sell off anything. Um, the, you know, the little, the little bags that you can put your stuff in that. Oh, put the, the, the sis haulers. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I mean, they're like, wow, who is this guy? I don't want him buying stuff. He can't even know <laughs> no, what it's called. That's a solid setup. I have, I have the phantom. I have the, the hot sticks. So any questions, let me know. There are some quirks with the hot sticks though. I will tell you that. Um, but I think they switched their straps. They don't have the buckles anymore. It's just a strap and like there's, I think it's daisy chained or something. I don't know, but definitely an improvement on what they had before. That's for sure. So no, you'll like that. You'll like that setup. You'll like hunting from a saddle. Um, and you don't have to get high up in a tree either. I mean, Cody D'Aquisto kind of put uh, the kibosh on, have to get, 30 feet, 20 feet in a tree with killing whatever the hell monster he killed this year. Um, from like, what was he like? 10, 12 feet, Cody. Yeah. He wasn't I high. think he's, he's usually like a two stick guy. So yeah, he doesn't get up high. So you don't have to, that's for sure. Just know that you need cover. So, yeah. And that's, that, I mean, that's always been my approach to tree stand hunting. Um, I'm not too proud to admit that I do not like heights at all. I, you know, I acknowledge they're, you know, the efficacy of hunting from heights, especially in archery when you're, you know, I mean, for me, I'd say 20 yards and in is my, I, you know, as it is for anybody, but you know, I, I would like, you know, as a bow shot, I mean, that's, you know, people do it on the ground every year. I'm not confident enough in my own ability to do that. So I choose to hunt from a tree. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'd say 15 feet is probably the max that I've ever climbed up. I do not like being up that high. I tend to lean more on, you know, not picking a wide open tree with no cover anywhere around you because then, you know, I know I'll never go 30 feet high, but you know, I don't, I want to be able to have the cover to be at a height I'm comfortable with. Um, especially setting up in the dark, you know, that's, you know, for me, like with the sat, you know, the first couple of times I go out, I know that I'm going to have to, um, you know, take my time and maybe get in a little earlier than usual to allow myself time to set up comfortably and not rush. And, you know, I think that's when most accidents happen, climbing a tree, whatever it is you're using. I'm going to beat Cody to this. What you could do is just do what I do and just set up in gray light. It'd be easier. Just, just get there later. Yeah, but then the deer already walked by. <laughs> so, do yourself a favor, get in early. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest. I, I'm the night before I go hunting or fishing. I'm like a, a little kid on Christmas Eve. I have a hard time sleeping, so I'm usually awake anyway. That's that's, that's part of why I just, I'm like, ah, I might as well get up and go now. I've got a two year old. I don't have that problem anymore. <laughs> I sleep pretty well. <laughs> Yeah, we're we're no rush on that for yeah. that very reason. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But uh no man, so to kind of recap, like you you recognized uh an issue with yourself 
and how it was impacting your hunting and your, your daily life. You set out to make a change. You started, you were consistent, you made the change, you lost over 60 pounds. Um, what, I mean, you're not a personal trainer. You're, you're not a nutritionist. You're not a dietitian, nothing like that. You're a normal dude. You're a yinzer and you did it. What advice do you have for those who are maybe afraid to take that first step or don't know where to go? Just take that step. I mean, I, and I can say that, you know, for the perspective of that, I was that person, right. You know, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty open as far as, you know, my journey, good and bad, you know, I'm, I'm willing to acknowledge, you know, being intimidated by the whole process and having a hard time. And, uh, you know, I, I, I him and hawed about this for probably about a year before I actually did anything about it. Um, and looking back, I really just wish I would have kicked myself in the butt and done it sooner. Um, and I, when I started out, I mean, I really was just one day at a time, you know, like regardless of wherever I'm happy with how I look today or whether I'm not happy, you know, am I doing things to make my life better or make it worse today? And that was kind of my attitude about it for a long time. And in a lot of the ways still is of, I'm just going to put one foot in front of the other and just, you know, I'm going to do the right things today. And I'm going to trust myself that if I can do that enough times in a row, that I'll start to build better habits and I'll feel better. Um, and for anyone out there that has, you know, heard me say what I just said and is still kind of on the fence, you know, once I finally lost some weight and felt better, I realized how horrible I felt before. And I would venture to guess that a person listening to this that is unhappy with their weight or health and doesn't feel well probably doesn't realize how bad they feel until they, you know, either lose weight or what, if they're just not in great cardiovascular shape or, you know, they want to put on some muscle mass or whatever your fitness goal is, um, you know, it's, you can feel better than you feel. I think most people that's probably true. It still is for me. Um, and so I think that would be my goal is, you know, sometimes it doesn't have to be that complicated, you know, kind of like what you were saying earlier, Cody, you were talking about how, you know, you, you work in nutrition. And so you get a lot of questions about different diet plans and programs and things like that. And, you know, I think sometimes that makes people feel like you have to do one of those or, you know, you can't do it yourself. And I, I think that would be my ultimate piece of advice is just try. <laughs> like I, people don't, I think, always realize the impact that just effort can have, even if you're not trying the right way, right? Even trying alone puts you ahead of everyone that isn't. Yeah, that's a really good point. You're either... You're either getting better or getting worse in most things. You're very rarely staying the same. So, you know, you make a very good point. If you're putting in some type of positive effort, you're probably moving in the right direction. And that doesn't mean you have to do it that way forever, but at least you've kind of got that ball rolling. Absolutely. Agreed. I mean, you'll, you know, you may try things you don't like it, but then you'll know that maybe that technique doesn't work, but it leads you to another one that does. Um, you know, I, I think it, you know, you, I really, I'm a firm believer that you get out what you put into anything, whether that's, you know, hunting, fishing, fitness, your job, relationships, et cetera. Um, you know, so, I, you know, I would encourage people to just, you know, even go do, when I first started biking on the trainer, I was, you know, 20 minutes with a break or two and had to get off. I mean, you know, that was really, really difficult, right? It's, it's hard to, like we just talked about earlier, to get on the bike and like, wow, I suck. Like, I'm not in good shape at all. 
Um, you know, but I, you get to the point where, you know, you can only say that to yourself so many times before you decide to either do something about it to get in better shape or accept that you, you know, are not in good shape and be okay with it. Um, I, my previous career, I, I worked in mental health and counseling, um, not to ramble here, I apologize, but it's relevant to kind of what we're talking about. You know, one of the things that I um, learned in my, I spent two and a half years working in uh, substance abuse counseling. And one of the biggest things that I heard from most people that were successfully in recovery um, was, you know, there were, people would say to me that I had to want to change and it didn't matter what anybody else, it didn't matter how bad my life was based on what anyone else was telling me. If I personally wasn't so unhappy that I was willing to do anything to change, it wasn't going to happen. And I've always looked at my weight loss journey as kind of that where I got desperate, you know, like so unhappy with where I was that I didn't even care if I was embarrassed at looking in the mirror of how heavy I was and how out of shape I was getting on a bike. I just was like, man, I hate how I feel and I'm willing to do anything to change it. I think that if you, if you are at that point, you're ready to make a change. That is a great point. That's something that I hit on a lot. The, and, and, you know, I've had alcoholics in my family. Um, you're 100% right. If you don't want to make a change, you won't make a change. And the fact that you recognize that from learning from, the fact that you recognized it is, you know, that's how it just started. Yeah, I mean, you'll either... You'll, you'll, if you want to do something, you'll find a way to do it. If you don't want to, you'll find a reason not to, um, you know, and I, you know, I'm, I'm certainly proud of my accomplishments, but there are people out there that have accomplished a lot more than I have too. Right. I mean, you know, there, are, there are regular folks like me, they're accomplishing great things like that every day. I mean, you could go online right now and find examples of people that have lost 150 pounds plus. I mean, you know, I think that the average person underestimates what they are capable of accomplishing. Yeah, definitely. No, I mean, it's, it's, uh, that's very cool. It's powerful stuff. Uh, it's been cool kind of hearing, you know, cause obviously I didn't have a lot of background on, on what you had done and it's been cool kind of hearing, you know, your story and, uh, kind of you realizing that you want to make a change and then how you went about that. So I think other people will certainly enjoy this as well. It, uh, it's a, you know, it's cool. It's a cool story. And like I said, I think it's powerful stuff for people. Absolutely. I'm happy to share. And you know, I, I'm not, it might be a surprise because of how much I ramble and babbled about myself today, but I'm actually not good at talking about myself. Um, but I do appreciate having the opportunity to, to come on and share, you know, my experience. And I hope that anyone listening that is, you know, look, thinking about some of these same things or knows someone that is, you know, I hope that person finds the same motivation in themselves to, you know, improve their own life too. And that would really kind of be, I guess, my ultimate hope for anybody listening to it. Um, my takeaway would be that I hope anybody who's listening um, that is on the fence about, you know, taking the leap into learning to hunt or in improving their own fitness would view my experience as a reflection that is, it is acceptable, right? I'm not remarkable in any way, right? I'm a very kind of, as you said, I'm an average dude, right? Um, and if I did it, I really do believe, believe excuse me, that anybody can. And I, I hope that maybe I empower somebody to, take that ownership and, and, and take that step and start doing that for themselves as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, it, 
seriously, man, I, I commend you. Like what you did is very, very difficult and I can't tip my hat. I can't tip my cap uh, enough at that. Um, what's, uh, if you want to throw out your Instagram handle, I know you're posting all the time, uh, a lot of hunting, a lot of really good food stuff lately. And of course, pasta. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. My Instagram handle is uh, K-A-C-J-9-2. You can find me on Instagram. K-A-C-J-9-2. Okay. You got it. S- sounds like a password, but that works. <clears throat> <laughs> it's not for anybody who's asking. Definitely not a password for anything. <clears throat> oh. Well, hey, man, this was awesome having you on. Um, you and I need to get together and actually hunt and fish sometime. Maybe not go after Brookies. Those aren't very much fun. I hope, I really hope I, I said that only for Nick. I hope I, Nick say, I still like you, but yeah. we'll just ignore that. <laughs> no, man, we need to get together and get out and do some stuff. So uh, thanks again. Um, Cody, do you have anything else? No, no, I'd uh, just echo a lot of what you said. This has been fun. Appreciate you coming on. You know, we always appreciate people taking the time out of their day or night or whatever the case may be to come on and talk with us. So, um, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Cool story. Um, you know, same, same type of thing. Tip my cap to what you've done because I don't, you know, I know you, you talk about being an ordinary person and obviously everybody can do it, but it's not easy either, you know? So definitely my, my hats off to you for, for doing what you did and, and, uh, look forward to seeing kind of how things continue for you and, and see what this season brings. Maybe you can notch that first bear tag and we can have you back on to talk about that or something. Hey, man, that'd be great. I really appreciate you guys giving me the opportunity to come on and talk about myself for an hour and a half. Um, You know, I I hope that people listening get something of value out of it and uh, be happy to come back on again. And if I fill that bear tag or if not, you know, still enjoy talking with you guys as well. And uh, go Steelers. (laughs) <laughs> being Lions fans we can't even say anything to that, yeah so. I, I, th- I think this weekend you're a Jaguars fan to be fair so. <laughs> hey you know what I, we tied you guys this year so I can't really say anything to you either true. I forgot that's we true. tied that's true oh, that's I wish so I could gross. forget Aaron I wish I could forget so <laughs> oh. all right everybody well as usual thanks for tuning in and we will catch you on the next one